Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, a digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno. And as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on. So I'm looking forward to this because this is what I do all day, every day. We're going to be talking a lot about social media marketing. And before we get into all of that, and before we get really deep down and go off on some fun rabbit holes, I'm sure, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I'm Jonathan Baldock and uh, probably the most relevant how I got here was uh, I uh, just most recently worked at LinkedIn and was there for nine and a half years. And at LinkedIn, for the first five and change, uh, I helped LinkedIn's largest global customers with their social media recruitment strategies. So we would help them deploy LinkedIn products and services, help them attract and hire new talent. And then the final four and change years at LinkedIn, uh, I spent my time, same type of customers, big, big global companies, uh, helping them with their uh, social sharing best practices. So utilizing, instead of just doing company page updates, utilizing their employees' networks to get the voice of the company through and and uh, and out, and therefore allowing them to do things like attract new hires, uh, build awareness around the top of the marketing funnel, get sales leads, and uh, protect their brand. So that was really that was really it. And then in the fall of 2020, I started consulting for a company called Social HP, and that company is one that is based around a similar kind of platform to what LinkedIn had, which was LinkedIn's was called LinkedIn Elevate. That has since sunset. I'm also happy to explain why they did that. And then Social HP is kind of the 2.0 of the advocacy space. Uh, so it solves a couple of big problems that I was experiencing with my customers when I was at Elevate and with you know managing that product, LinkedIn Elevate. And so here I am. So this is like so many questions. Here we go. Um, sure, let's try, away. try and make these all kind of make sense in my head before I get too excited. LinkedIn is for me one of still the most powerful and underutilized platforms there is. And I'm hoping you can clarify some stuff for us. And it's something that I've talked about a few times on this show. And internally, we have a conversation about a lot. LinkedIn has a content problem from what I can see. There's a lot of, well, there's a fair amount of users, but I still get to the point where if I'm on the platform too much, I start seeing content from two, three, four weeks ago, and it's kind of being re-dished up to me. And the best kind of analysis of that that I can find is the fact that actually a remarkably small percentage of users on LinkedIn are actually creating and sharing content. Is that true? Or have I just been bamboozled and taken off down the wrong rabbit holes by other people? Well, number one, seeing is believing. So I believe you, you've probably got a reasonable assessment for you. It depends, I think, on your network. My network is constantly producing content. But then again, who's in my network? Fortune 500 companies, lots of contacts at those kinds of companies. And so, 
yeah, they're that tiny percentage that are producing lots of content and putting it out there. So you're absolutely right. I think the vast majority of people are not producing content. And then there's an even smaller percentage that is sharing content or a similar kind of percentage. And so if you've got a, a network that isn't doing a lot of producing, then you're going to have a limited news feed. The platform itself, this is, and, and I think this spells the big opportunity. You know, your audience you'd mentioned is primarily small to medium-sized business owners. And so this is the holy grail of opportunities for them because it's a free channel where they can actually drive some results and almost nobody's doing it. So when you think about that, it's, it's just, you know, can I do that? Of course, it can seem daunting. So, you know, all of a sudden now I need to be a social media marketing expert. I need to be an expert at writing content. I'm not a writer. I'm not a copywriter. Bloody hell, like I'm not going to do this. And so understand it's intimidating. But I think if we can peel back some of the clouds, put a little bit of sunshine on it today, we'll probably put everybody in a little bit more of a comfortable position and get them feeling like they can handle it, at least to you know get them started. So that's interesting. And we're going to go jump into that. The second part is, and this is something that I shout at clients about a little bit, and I got to be careful how I explain this, but uh, I, f- I believe in being a hundred percent open and honest with clients. So if they tell me to do something and I disagree with it, I will tell them very strongly and say, look, this is why I wouldn't do it. But if that's what you really have decided you want to do, I'll do that. But again, kind of have it noted on the record, what I said, whether it works, doesn't work, whatever. But one of the biggest things that I have a row about is especially for, so in the UK, small businesses are still anything under 5 million pounds, right? In revenue, which by the time you get to that level, you're a pretty big small business. Sure. But one of the big issues is for LinkedIn is people will say to me like, you know, we're getting no interaction on our LinkedIn company page and I'll sit there and I'll go in and I'll say, right. Okay. Well, you know, you've got 25 members of staff and they're like that. Yeah. I'm like that. Okay. Why do none of your staff get involved in any way, shape, or form in any of the conversations that are to do with your brand or your business? And really interestingly, when I bring this up, most conversations, if it's on the Zoom call, go very quiet. (laughs) A lot of people don't really necessarily know what to say about that. Um, And I think this is something I'd love to ask you about. You know, what's What's how was the best way to find that nice balance between forcing your your employees to click like and share, which obviously isn't a good idea, but sure. getting your employees bought into this so that they're actually part of that bigger conversation? Okay, so uh, definitely, I've spent a lot of time on this particular subject. Let me back up my answer with some numbers first, then I'll roll it forward into the how do we get employees to do this. So let's look at some numbers and let's give an example. It's an example I like to give of a company with 50 employees. I'm not concerned about the revenue, but let's just say they have 50 employees. They're all listed on LinkedIn. And and this description, this example is applicable to other platforms. So LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you've got employees, they're on social, but let's let's focus on on the example for LinkedIn. A company with 50 employees often has somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 followers. Which means if they do a company page update, 800 people are going to see that update in their newsfeed, including the 50 employees, because those 50 employees are automatic followers of the company page. So technically, they have closer to 750 followers. The average person on LinkedIn has somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 connections. So if you just get one employee to share that story, you've doubled your presence. If you get all of the employees to share that, you're going to reach 40,000 people. 
So your one company page update reaches 800. If your employees share it, you reach 40,000. So there's a big incentive if we realize that, that math, there's a big incentive to try and get our employees to share. Second piece is what size a company, how many employees does a company have that would likely have 40,000 followers? Well, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 employees. So if you're a company that has 50 employees and you're competing with mid-sized companies that have 2,000 or, or in your space, they might be large companies, how do we compete with them? Well, if we just get our employees to share the content, we immediately have the same amount of voice on the LinkedIn network as they do because they're definitely not using their employees to, to send out their message. If they are, then they're competing with companies perhaps 40 and 50 times larger than them. But So this is the great equalizer. It's a, it's a free resource. Your employees already work there. All you need to do is have a conversation and see if you can persuade them to start sharing your content. Now the challenge comes, however do we get them to agree to share it? So you can have a conversation and you can say, hey, look, I would, you know, we, it's a mandate. Y'all need to share this content. And then they're going to go, yeah, sure. And then they never will. They, will. they will say yes to your face while you're on a Zoom call. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. I'll definitely be doing that. And meanwhile, in their head, they're like, absolutely not. There's zero chance I'm going to do any of that. So we have to explain why we would like them to do it. Part of it is the selfish reason for your company which is what, you know, how is the company going to benefit? Well, we're going to create new leads. Uh, we're going to create some sales opportunities. If they're in sales, hey, we're going to be able to drive some sales leads for you. Um, we're going to expand our reach, our visibility into existing customers. We're going to reach and uh, um, build out relationships with new prospects. So we're going to build our, our reach. Perhaps they're on a team where you're struggling to hire new resources. They're understaffed and they're like, you know, could you please hire somebody to do half my job because I'm doing two people's jobs. And so this would be much better if you could just fill that open job, you're killing me. And the answer is, well, if you share content and you share our open jobs, then that job is going to reach your network, which has a lot of people that have similar skills to you. And so odds are it's going to increase our chances of actually recruiting somebody if you would just go ahead and share. So those are all the selfish reasons for the company and a little bit touching on why the employees would care. The biggest reason why employees would care, and generally employers don't want to tell employees this, but the biggest reason why employees would care is because it raises their professional profile. If I'm sharing content, and it's not just any content, but if I'm sharing thought leadership, if I'm sharing industry news, and then I'm also sharing some company content, I all of a sudden look like a thought leader, industry expert, subject matter expert to my network. Well, if I'm looking for another job in the future, and at some point, everyone does, it makes me more marketable. So if you give me good stuff to share and I share it, I'm very selfish as an employee. I want like, what's best for me? Well, if we tell them the what's best for them, then uh, great. Now, the last problem is even if they all agree, very few will actually do it. And that's because it's not part of their job. So that's number one. Number two, they'll be feeling like they need to become a social media marketing expert. What story do I pick? Uh, how do I find that? Where do, what do you want me to say? And, and then there's a lot of lifting and they're already doing their jobs. So this is a distraction and it's a whole new set of skills that they probably don't want to have to learn. Enter in what I used to represent at LinkedIn, which is now Sunset, which is called LinkedIn Elevate. And the product that I represent now, which is Social HP, which is a platform that basically pulls in all of this important content that you would love to share out. So that also takes the intimidation factor away from the business owners who say, I'm not an expert. And so we pull in all of the, the thought leadership, industry news, 
and their company content, and then we make it available to the employees to share. Now, when I was at LinkedIn, still, it was a problem, even if you gave your employees this platform, because on average, 20% would bother to log in and share. And those are the people that love new technology. They're adopting stuff. They're like, oh, this is amazing. I can't wait to boop, boop, bop, share, share, share. Look at all the likes and comments I'm getting. I'm crushing it. And so that's all fancy and that's great. But what about the 80% of your employees that went, yeah, yeah, this sounds great. And then they're busy doing their work and they completely forget about it. And it's not, you know, it's not to their blame. It's just or detriment. It's just they're busy. And so it slips their mind. They never think about it again. They might've logged in once to sign up and then they, and it's off. And that was our common issue when I was at LinkedIn is that at renewal, if a client signed up for whether it was you know 50 employees, 100 employees, 1,000, 10,000, it really didn't matter. The math was always the same. They would only get 20% of the people sharing. And so they would say two things. Why am I paying for this number when only 20% are doing it? And then also, um, there's this huge missed opportunity. Each of these employees have 800 connections on average, and we're not reaching their, their networks. So that's the, the 2.0 portion of Social HP, which is... Employees can have a do-it-for-me functionality, which means they sign up. And then if there's one person at the company that understands the content, knows what to share and at what frequency, then the employee just goes, okay, cool. Yeah, you guys go ahead. You're the experts. You know what you're doing. Please you know, share whatever it is uh, that I should be sharing on whatever frequency I should be sharing. Make me comfortable, meaning like don't share nine times a day, but maybe share like twice a week. Share all the good stuff. Make me look like a genius. And, you know, make me look like the subject matter expert, fancy, fancy, great. And then we just take care of that. It automates the, uh, the process and it makes it simple that one administrator could spend an hour, an hour and a half a month and manage the calendars for hundreds, if not thousands of employees. That sounds like a good way of uh, taking it off the desk of all the people, like you said, that will be listening to the Zoom call going, that sounds like a great plan. Thank you. And then literally we'll walk away and do yeah. nothing. Um, and God knows 100%. we've had this conversation, especially with small teams, right? Because, you know, when you are talking about the the smaller team and like you said, up to 50 people, bring it all the way down to literally having like five people. You're like that. You you literally, you know, you're you're the assets. You are the company. You're the brains. You're the brawn. Right. You're the the brand. You're the culture. You're everything. Your first four or five guys or girls literally represent the embodiment of what that company is and what it will be. So when those people don't necessarily have a buy-in or when they don't see the value in it, it can be a bit of a challenge, and it becomes far harder and more challenging to then break the boundary of, you know, social media doesn't work or LinkedIn doesn't work for me, which I'm sure you've heard before. And I've heard as well, but you get to that point of, you know, you've got to buy into it and you've got to give it a go and a proper go, right? Not creating that one video that one time and then telling me that video on LinkedIn doesn't work, for example, um, which unbelievably is conversations you do have with, uh, with small businesses and even mid-sized businesses. Okay, cool. Let's go back then because you've mentioned so many things now and then we kind of keep going off on one and then trying to claw back and remember the other one. Uh, We were talking about obviously LinkedIn uh, and you mentioned the idea of owned, earned and paid audiences and understanding the difference between these things. So for anyone who's listening, can we start off by just sort of breaking this down in the most simplistic term? What's the difference between an owned and earned and a paid audience? Great. So owned would be your corporate asset. So like your LinkedIn company page, that's your owned. So anything you do there, you don't have to pay anything for it. Your likes and comments, it's part of your your ecosystem, if you will. 
paid would be if you went to LinkedIn or any of the other platforms and said, I want to put ads in front of these specific people, have this specific message, and I want them to take this specific action. And then those platforms will say, cool, this is the size of the audience. This is how long your campaign will run. And this is how much it's going to cost you. And usually they'll give you either a CPC, which is a cost per click math around what you should expect. Uh, you can set a budget, you know, those kinds of things, and you can run your campaign. The middle portion, which is earned, is the one that's very, very valuable because if you earn it, you didn't have to pay for it. And that's like typically looked at as the networks of the employees and your network. So if you're sharing content and you get three likes, two comments and whatever, an example would be if I, when I was working at LinkedIn and you shared a, a story and I clicked like on it. And let's say LinkedIn is a, an organization that you would love to sell to. And I might be one of the target buyers. So if I click like, not only did it go out to your network, but now as soon as I do a public facing action like that, it'll go to my entire network. So I, because I was at LinkedIn for a while, I have a lot of connections. So I have a couple thousand connections. So it'll go to everyone in, in my network in their newsfeed. So that's first thing. Second is you'll hit about 300 and change people at LinkedIn because I had a lot of people at LinkedIn that I was connected to, not surprising. And then if I was part of that buying team, then uh, odds are I'm connected to everybody else that's part of that buying or decision-making group. So it's also in the feed of every single person that's in the buying or decision-making group. So earned is very valuable because your employees are connected to your customers. They're connected to your prospects. They're connected to the future of your business. And as you said, just you know, a couple of minutes ago, they are your company. They are the assets of the company. And so mobilizing those assets are critical. And that's really the area that I tend to focus on the most, which is the earned portion, because it's underutilized as we covered off the top of the conversation. Almost nobody's sharing content. Almost nobody's producing content. Now in my network, lots of people are doing those things, but that's where I spent my time. But as soon as you know, we look at yours, then you'd be like, yeah, it's like recycled the same stuff. I can scroll down my feed and, and, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm getting old stuff pretty fast. It's a, for me, it's an incredible kind of phenomenon in the way that a lot of people have the misconception, right? That social media and they bung everything together here. They bung social media and they say, you know, you have to pay to make social media work. And what's interesting is we work with a fair few companies that are in sectors that where they can't use the advertising. So for example, uh, blockchain companies and cryptocurrency based companies, we've worked with some uh, medical cannabis, uh, CBD, hemp businesses. All of these people have very limited access to the advertising platforms sure. that most companies will. But what's interesting is, is when they're doing it properly, when they're sharing good content, and again, this is the important thing, right? just posting crap for the sake of posting crap will never work no matter who you sure. are, but posting good content, great content and getting involved in your community and getting involved with your network is a huge asset. And literally like we've seen clients 10 X, the number of follows from themselves to their actual company pages with zero advertising budget. We've seen clients turn people that literally were connections on LinkedIn into a customer and get sales and actual money out of them without spending a penny on advertising, because all of these things are possible. But one of my pet hates and something that we kind of talk about a lot is putting the social back into social media. When all these platforms started, they were referred to as social networks. And then we changed right. and they became social media where we should just share pictures of or funny gifts of cats, for example. 
And the big bit that yeah. was missed was that networking part, whereby if you invest some time, if you get to know people, if you talk to people in the same way that you would as a human being in real life, it's amazing the kind of connections that you make and the kind of people that you meet and the way that you end up connected with these people in the future is insane. And I think it's just such a missed opportunity. You're absolutely right. And there's a couple of things I can add in on that. One is the the posting stuff for the sake of posting stuff adds a little value. Also, even if you see people getting likes and comments on the garbage that could be posted, that's not driving any actual value for them other than them feeling good that they got likes and, and comments and perhaps made some of their friends jealous that they, you know, their photo of them holding a coffee cup from whatever store they bought their coffee from was super exciting for some reason. But that's not going to drive any, it's not going to drive any business for you. The 700 plus million people on LinkedIn, for example, you don't need to convince 700 million people your company is amazing. You only need to convince everyone you want to sell to. So that's sort of quick point number one. Second is your employees are twice as trusted as the brand because they're sharing it out to their networks. They know these people. So when they share something on behalf of the company, their connections are much more likely to take that share seriously. Then when we get into uh, the, the thought around the kinds of contents, we need to add value. And that's where LinkedIn had a really nice ratio. Uh, for every six pieces of content, you would share three pieces of thought leadership, two pieces of industry content, and one story about you. And that story about your company was not always your product and service. It was, this is what we're doing in the community. This is how we're donating our time. Here's a profile in this awesome employee that we have because you're, you're really selling the brand and you're creating a connection. And when there are certain brands that if we say them, we'll have an immediate feeling or we all agree, that's what that brand's about. And perhaps those brands evolve over time, but there's some great examples of it. And so there are companies that do a better job than others. That doesn't mean you need to become Nike or you need to become Gong, which is a new like digital company that's like always in the news and, and, and crushing it on their likes and comments. That's all fine and dandy. The reality is, you know, not everyone's going to be a unicorn, but we all think we are one. And, and, and the answer is you don't have to, again, convince the world. You just need to convince the people that are important to you. And that conversation, which is really what it is, it's a conversation, doesn't need to happen with one share. It's not, it's not an ad campaign. It's not a paid ad campaign where you go, okay, I'm putting this ad in and then I hope they click and then they're going to buy some stuff. And then at the end of the ad campaign, you go, oh, you know, we didn't get enough or, oh, yay, you know, we got some more sales. Let's run that one again. This is different. When you're sharing through your employees' networks and you're sharing socially and you're being thoughtful about the, you know, adding value, et cetera, the conversation changes from I'm pitching, pitching, pitching to Oh, you know, Chris just shared this and it's awesome. Well, that's really, that's great. I wonder, you know, what is Chris doing now? Oh, that's cool. He works at XYZ. Then, you know, uh, two weeks later, I see something from you. Here's something what's going on in the industry. I'm like, oh, wow, that is so cool. I didn't realize those changes are happening. And then after that, oh, by the way, we launched this new service. And then I go, oh, wow, that's so cool. Cause we're actually in the market for that service. So it's, it's having a conversation that's ongoing, which is what we would call evergreen marketing or an evergreen channel, which it's always on, which is why it's evergreen. And then it's just constantly uh, keeping those touch points going, that conversation going with the people that matter. I think it's an interesting concept that a lot of people, like you mentioned, completely forget about it. It's this 
this this is like the idea of like buy now, buy now. Right. And you sit there going like, right, okay, cool. Help me out, right? When you used to go to conferences, did you walk up to small groups of people that were talking about something else and walk up to them and go, you guys should buy this product right now and it's a really, really good product and it's $99. <laughs> and if you buy it right now, I'll give you 10% off. Or did you walk up and be like, hey guys, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. And then slowly integrate yourself into a conversation. And it's really amazing because if you, like our online behaviors as human beings is useless in comparison to how we are in person. People are keyboard warriors and become horrible people on Twitter, for example, yes. or men apparently on dating apps are awful to the majority of the women that I've met on these dating apps that you end up having these conversations. That sounds about, about. right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah we yeah. all heard these horror stories, yeah. but the same is true with business. It's exactly right. the same thing whereby we've, we've lost our capacity to say, okay, right. Jonathan, you and I should have a chat for this podcast, for example. And it's not, well, I'm trying to sell you something or you're trying to sell me something, but it's, okay, well, what can we talk about? Well, we could talk about this. We both have an interest in this. This will be a really interesting concept. Now we're networked. We're together. We know what each other does, but now we're connected on LinkedIn, for example. And like you said, I'm not looking for your next offer code to go and right. quickly run out and buy software. What I'm looking is to be able to, whether or not I can have a conversation, actually, do we have more in common or suddenly you've shared something about whatever it might be something to do with gaming industry or something that I have an interest in. And I'll be like that. Oh my God, that's really interesting. That's actually a really cool way of looking at whatever it might be. People yep. have forgotten all this bit. And those are the fundamental steps that in if you were a bit back in an office and you were meeting a new employee, that's the way you would talk to them. If you were at a sales conference or a marketing conference, you would talk to people in that human kind of way. You'd listen to what they were talking about. You'd get involved in their conversations first. And the last thing I was going to say to you is, you know, this idea of going viral and publishing a hundred pieces of content a day and all the rest of it. If you're a small business, the reality is you probably can't onboard 10 new clients in the next 10 days. Right. Like being completely honest, right? If you're a B2B service provider or, you know, if you sell any kind of service consultancy kind of based product as opposed to like a SaaS or whatever else, the, the, the reality of like the onboarding process, getting people in place, getting, making sure that it works and having those 10, 12, 15 new customers come on board would be a hugely painful curve. And I think what people don't realize is again, trying to get those numbers no, trying to remember that you're trying to sell, like you said, to those that small group of people who are your ideal customer and remembering that if you get one of them, that's a huge win. That's where all the, for me anyway, that's where the effort goes of what you're trying to succeed with. Absolutely agree. There's also the, the threat of having the wrong customer buy from you, where you could end up with 100 clients and 60 of them should not be your clients. <laughs> you know, you're selling to them. And you regret selling to them. And it's because they they really should have bought from somebody else. It's, it's They should have bought a different service. But for whatever reason, your ad, your marketing work, and you spend all your time you know, managing those relationships. Whereas if you represent your organization in a way that is to the audience that matters to you most, and you communicate the values of the organization, what the people are about, and so on, first of all, when they become your client, they already are quite familiar with you. They're quite familiar with the people, the culture, uh, your products and services. And when they're ready to buy, they're like, I can't wait to buy from these people because they're fantastic. Then when they buy, they're already bought in. There's The onboarding process is easier. The odds of them, if you have, for example, like a product that they would renew, the odds of them renewing is already increased because they've got an attachment. They have an expectation that you're very likely going to reach. Whereas if you 
get a customer that is the wrong customer, you could be investing the most time and effort into products and services and sales that are providing very little value to the company other than keeping shingles over your head and adding stress to your life. And so approaching it where you have an ongoing dialogue with the people that matter and the clients that matter, those are the ones, that's what's going to make the difference. And a lot of companies look at it like, you know, what's our cost per lead or what's our cost per acquisition of new customer? That is very valuable. Well, first of all, if you're sharing socially and you're using social media in in a valuable way around uh, earned media, first of all, it's driving your average cost per acquisition down, your average cost per lead down. The other challenge uh, with campaign approach if that's all you're doing, they're very valuable because they're targeted. But the challenge with the campaign approach is that you add a ton of stuff in the top of the sales funnel, leads, then you follow up on those leads, then you work down to some presentations, then you make some offers, and then you close a couple of deals, and then you look back up and nothing's in the top of the funnel again. And then you're like, oh crap, I've got to start over. And then you run another campaign and you and you keep doing this process. And it's very difficult to get out of this, this cycle. Whereas if you have uh, content that's going out that's adding value to your networks, then that's top of the sales funnel starts to slowly but surely over time fill up and then just get consistently. A couple of people keep getting added in on a regular basis and you're always getting new leads, new leads, new leads, and then you're getting referrals and so on and so on. And, and that's a much easier way to manage it so that over the course of the year, if, if someone's buying cycles nine months and you have your first conversation with them, and they say, I'm buying in nine months, and most of your customers have a 30-day buying cycle, you immediately go, okay, cool. I'll talk to you in eight months. Well, what happens over the course of eight months? You could be delivering really valuable, insightful information so that when they're ready to make their purchase eight months later, you're stack ranked number one on their list of if I want to buy from somebody, it's definitely that company. They will have to blow the sale in order for me to not buy from them. Don't challenge people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, There's a lot to be said. And again, I think it gets banded around too much in the sense of adding value, like, right. Giving a piece of content. And I think one of the key things that a lot of, and again, I'm talking a lot from sort of B2B service providers in that sense, but giving away the secrets, right. And people get really quite worried about this. When we talk to people at the beginning and you sit there and you say, right. Okay. Look, if you're a, bakery, for example, giving people a a secret recipe of how to make the most fluffiest muffins or whatever it might be. And they're like that. Yeah, but that's how I make my money. Like my muffins might, you have to understand that there's an element of one, it's not because you deliver a recipe out to people freebie or whatever it might be. It might be a bad example, but uh, it's not because you did that, that anyone's going to run off and open a competing bakery with you. Number one, number two, if they really wanted to go and open the competing bakery, they're going to do it with or without your, your recipe. Let's be honest. Uh, And if they really want to be horrible, they'll go and buy your cupcakes or your product and they'll reverse engineer it anyway. So one way or the other, forget about that. Giving value for me is number one part whereby the relationships that I have and the customers that have really stuck with us for long periods of time that are still there now is all based on that. It's those little moments. It might be that extra half hour that I give them every now and again when they've got an idea for something. It's super far out. It's nothing to do with the scope of work that we're currently doing, but you sit there and you help them out. And when it comes to the online stuff, you know, we do this podcast where we try and get at least one thing that helps at least one person every single episode that goes out there. We do videos, we do lives, we answer questions, we do everything we can to throw out as much info as possible. And what we're always trying to do is that. 
help at least one person with something. I don't care what it is, but I'll try my best to help. Too many companies are worried about giving away the secret source, thinking that that makes a difference or not realizing that their source isn't even secret. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. You know, there's a, the odds of somebody, when you say, for example, when you go to do this, this is, you're a subject matter expert. And you say, hey, when you go to tackle this subject, um, here are the five things that I typically learn in the process. And I normally screw up number three, and I'm the expert on this. FYI, if, if you're heading into this kind of a project, you know, this is what you should be focused on. Well, they're going to say, okay, one, thank you so much for this information. It's super helpful. Two, if they tackle it themselves, they'll, they'll be thinking, I really wish that person was coaching me and helping me through this because it's really, really difficult. And then if it's really challenging, like think about the work you had to do to get to where you are so that you could hang up that shingle or run your business. And so, you know, and even if a, even if a competitor who's watching everything you do wants to copy exactly what you just said, fine, all the power to them. The reality is, is you're, if you're consistently uh, adding value to your network and they're periodically adding value because they're copying you, there's going to be an obvious difference there of who's really helpful and driving uh, their customers forward. And, and those are the relationships that stay. You know, otherwise, you get commoditized. So if you have a relationship where you're a trusted advisor and they rely on you for their business, it's really hard for them to get rid of you because you're, you're a part of their business. Whereas if you're a company that they buy from where all they care about is price because you don't offer anything else other than your product for a set price, then the second somebody offers that exact same product or something close to it for a little bit less, they're going to they're gonna jag off and go buy the next thing from the next company. And so how do we hold on to our audience? How do we hold on to those relationships? It's exactly that. It's going the extra mile. It's providing value. It's, it's, it's leaning into uh, caring about the customer and, uh, and adding value. I think it's important as well. Like you mentioned, even if people are copying and God knows LinkedIn is actually one of the worst platforms or at least, sorry, I notice it a lot more on LinkedIn. I'm sure it happens all over the place, but it's one of those things where, you know, you, you see the same posts go round from multiple people with whatever. It might be a story how I met this guy and he was running late for an interview and, but I gave him the job and at the end it's amazing and lots of likes and comments and you're like that, yeah. Jesus Christ. This right. is like the 19th time this has happened to someone in the last six <laughs> yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you realize super quickly who the people that are being genuine about this and who the people right. that are, like you said, trying to game the system or just trying to make a story kind of turn it into their best advantage. But the reality is your clients will know that or people prospects as well will know that pretty quickly. I think as well, you know, are you actually active? Do you respond to people's comments? Are you just copying and pasting something for the sake of it? Or actually are you interested in what they're saying? And when they are, if they've written about having a similar problem, have you seen it? Are you getting involved in that conversation? You either care or you don't, I think is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and people will figure that one out quite quickly. So if you are just copying, it backfires you in the end because when the people have the conversation and go, oh, what about this? And you go, hey, you've had enough freebie information from me. Give me some cash. Uh, it probably probably finishes that relationship for you quite quickly. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of things on that. Uh, but I, I agree with with the direction where you're headed in, the, in in that portion of the conversation. One, I think, is if you just post something for the sake of posting it, it's not going to drive any real value. But there is nothing wrong with, like, if you see an article from some third-party publisher and you really think it's you know, valuable and fantastic, 
adding a little comment as to why you think it's valuable and fantastic, that's a, that's a good thing to do. Now, if everybody else grabs and shares that article, you know, hey, well enough. But if that's all you do, then, you know, then you're, 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 you know, on that narrow path. The other thing is if, you know, someone sees something that is great and then they sort of try and take credit for it, it's a little bit of virtue signaling, which is, you know, oh, well, I agree with that too, or, or I think this is important. And, uh, and, you know, you feel obligated to participate in the conversation. Unless you're genuinely involved in the conversation, um, people, for whatever reason, just, you know, feel like they have to raise their hand on everything and say, you know, me too. I think that's, I think that's wrong. And I think that's right. And there are platforms that that's a lot more prevalent and people get themselves into some muddy water really, really quickly. And I've seen people lose jobs over it. And then, you know, so sometimes it's just easier just to steer clear of it. And then the, uh, the other portion is, you know, what value does that give you anyway? What if I post something on LinkedIn about somebody that got a job somewhere and it was like a really big deal? If it's not personal to me, all the likes and comments aren't going to close deals for me. They're not going to make my network think, well, Jonathan's really smart because he posted this video about somebody that, you know, unless it's specifically helpful, it, it you know, and I, I'm not bulletproof on this. Like I make my mistakes all the time, and but I, I, I at least certainly have a decent, you know, uh, a goal, which is to add value, right? So you know, I'm not perfect at it, but, but, you know, and it's a learning curve for everybody. Um, but, but trying to get, you know, a lot of followers just for the sake of getting followers, isn't going to, isn't going to add value to anybody. And it's not about it getting it wrong. It's just experimenting. No, that's sure. all it is, Jonathan. We're all experimenting all the right. time. That's, that's right. the way to gloss over the fact that sometimes we all get it wrong. Uh, it's <laughs> not an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. but again, what you've said there, you know, I'd rather have a hundred followers that care about me, my product, my company, and have bought in in some way and that like us because of who we are than to have 10,000 whereby you look at the actual numbers and the engagement is next to nothing. And unfortunately it does happen and you see it a mile away or a million miles away when you go onto a Instagram account and it's got 50,000 followers apparently, and the yeah. engagement level is zero. And it's got like six likes per photo or 50 likes per photo. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on at that point. So again, I'd much rather have the reverse. I'd rather have only 50 followers, but every single one of them is trying to get involved in the conversation. I mean, that's the perfect goal um, yeah. to then be able to actually have a really engaged community. So something for people to, to have a look at and think about. Uh, Jonathan, this has been awesome. And I feel like actually we could probably redo another whole episode just on LinkedIn for recruitment companies, which oh, yeah, yeah. I'm probably, probably going to get in trouble now because one of our clients is a recruitment company and they'll be upset that I didn't ask any questions specifically. So we might have to table that for, uh, for the future, but yeah, happy to come back and, and talk that through. There's a, we could dig in really deep because before LinkedIn, I worked as a headhunter for 12 years. Uh, so I definitely have the knowledge of that industry and I've also, you know, got the, uh, the LinkedIn bit. So we can, we can have a good conversation around that. I'm going to guarantee that my commercial director, James O'Donnell is going to reach out to you on LinkedIn. Sure. Uh, he's a big, big believer in LinkedIn and he's been doing a lot of very good stuff and he's helping some recruiters at the moment actually to get more out of LinkedIn. So I'm pretty sure he'll, he'll connect with you at some point before we round up. And we will do that as well. Cause I think that would be an awesome episode. But before we round up, where can people find you? Where can people find out more about Social HP and connect with you in the on the World Wide Webs? So starting off for, for if you want to find me, just LinkedIn and just type in my name, Jonathan Baldock. Uh, I, I maybe you can pop a link in the bottom of the uh, of the podcast as well. 
And um, it's actually the URL for LinkedIn adds my name in there because you can personalize your your name into your LinkedIn URL. So it's just linkedin.com forward slash, I think it's forward slash in forward slash Jonathan Baldock. I come up. So, you know, connect with me there. And then for social HP, um, either, uh, you know, just go to socialhp.com and you can learn about the the platform. And if you have any specific questions or, or, or interested in having a conversation about how to util- utilize a platform like this for your business, then, you know, just message me and, and I'll happily talk people through it. That's awesome. We'll add all of those links to the show notes. Jonathan, thank you once again for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.